Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Unabashed. The most unpredictable. Becomes a headline. The most volatile. Outrageous behavior. Unsubstantiated narratives. A battle of personalities. Welcome to Grant Masha, a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace in the Hindustan Times. I'm your host, Milan Vaishnav. We are recording this conversation on October 9th. Election Day in America is now less than a month away. One of the most surprising aspects of an already very surprising election year is the fact that Indian Americans have occupied a rather unexpected turn in the spotlight over the past several months. Although Indians in America account for less than 1% of all registered voters, they have been actively wooed by both Democrats and Republicans in a way that I think is truly unprecedented. Thanks to the increasing influence of Indian Americans, the camaraderie between Donald Trump and Narendra Modi, and the addition of Kamala Harris to the Democratic ticket, there's a sense that this community's votes are very much at play this election year. Today, a new survey is being released, the Indian American Attitude Survey, that can shed light on the political attitudes of Indian Americans. It's a collaborative undertaking of the Carnegie Endowment, Johns Hopkins Sice, and the University of Pennsylvania. It was a pleasure for me to be a part of this project, but an even bigger pleasure to work with two close friends, Sumitra Badrinathan and Devesh Kapoor. On this new and I think exciting initiative, Devesh and Sumitra join me today to talk about the first in a series of reports drawing on this new data. Sumitra, Devesh, good to have you on the show. Thank you, Milan. Thanks, Milan. So, Devesh, let me start with you. You know, you have been looking at this issue of Indians in America now for many years. You have written extensively about this. You have written perhaps the standard reference uh, for understanding Indian migration to the United States, a book called The Other 1%, Indians in America. We'll link to that. Before we get into the nitty gritty of the survey, if you kind of step back and approach this at a 30,000 foot level, what do we know to date about the political behavior of Indian Americans, right? How would you characterize what their leanings have been? The first survey on this was, I think, the one I did in 2004, uh, <clears throat> which was the first national survey of Indian American voters. Uh, this was uh, just around the time when uh, the transition between the Vajpayee uh, NDA and the UPA in India. And there was a general sense at that time as well uh, in the media that Indian Americans were more sort of, uh, their political inclinations were more like to the right. But in that survey, which had a sample of more than 2,000, uh, I found that, uh, two things I found. One is that the support for Democrats was about five times more than that for that for the Republicans. A large number of of the respondents either uh, uh, said that they didn't have any views or were independents. Uh, uh, that was that was that was you know close to half. But the longer they lived in the U.S., uh, their 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 political views formed. And they were more likely to become even more Democrat 
than, than remain Republican. So, and since then, every other survey from Pew, uh, the Asian American uh, survey, like from UC Riverside, each of them has been very, very consistent. Indian Americans are very heavily Democrat voters. So we're going to talk about in a second why that's the case. But let me just ask you a a question about Indian immigration writ large, because this might not be something that's very well known to a lot of our listeners. What does Indian immigration to the U.S. look like, right? How big and how fast has this community grown? Uh, So, you know, uh, just a bit of history. There was a there was a little bit of immigration from from what was then, you know, British India at the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, when the U.S. passed, you know, laws that basically banned immigration from that part of the world around 1920. At that time, there were about 5,000 people from what was then British India. And the numbers dropped so much that in the 1940 and 1950 census, uh, they weren't even, you know, separately recorded. By 1960, there were about 12,000 people like from India in the U.S. And from then, and especially after the 1965 sort of Immigration Reform Act, the numbers began to jump every decade. It was about 51,000 in 1970, about 206,000 in 1980, 450,000 in 1990, 1 million in 2000, 2.8 million in 2010, and in 2018, it's about 4.2 million. So in other words, the Indian population in America has doubled since the year 2000. Yes. Uh, uh, no, it's it's more than double. Uh, the two-thirds of all Indians in the U.S. have come after 2000. So this is not only a a growing population, but arguably a rapidly growing population. Um, I think most data we have shows that if you look at the past couple of years, Indians are either the, the second or the third, depending on how you define it, fastest growing minority group in the country. Is that right? Right. So so basically, they are the second largest immigrant group after immigrants from Mexico, if uh, sort of, and and with sort of mainland China being third. Uh, if you count Taiwan, part of mainland China, then Indian immigrants from India would be ranked third. So, Sumitra, let me turn to you. You know, you have conducted numerous surveys on public opinion in India. We have collaborated on on some of those. The three of us have. What is the value added of doing yet another pre-election survey ahead of the U.S. election? Right. It seems like we're inundated. Those of us who are constantly checking the New York Times five thirty eight, you know, with a new poll every day. You know, what is new and different about this? Yeah, my social media feed, I think like yours, is completely saturated with information about polling. And it's funny you mentioned 538 because I think I checked their tracker yesterday and they added something like 15 new polls to their model just over the last three days alone. But what's important is that none of these polls are about the demographic that we're discussing here, Indian Americans. We talked briefly about Indian Americans being in the news this season. So I think it stands to reason that a survey specifically focused on their views would have a lot of value. Now, I think this is important for two distinct reasons. First, 
There hasn't been a single survey conducted until this one that we know of that studies Indian Americans alone. So what this means is that all the knowledge we have, everything we know so far about this community, comes from a subsample of surveys that generally study Asians in the U.S. writ large. So suppose a study was studying about, surveyed about a thousand Asians, it would have to be split into several different nationalities to comprise that sample size of thousand. So Indian Americans end up being 200, maximum 300 of that larger sample size. So what this means is that you end up drawing inferences about the whole country from a smaller subsample that you can't guarantee is actually from the whole country. What if that subsample was entirely from Texas or California, where there are a lot of Indian Americans? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that you see this quantity in surveys called the margin of error, which basically describes how close we can reasonably be that a survey result is close to the true population value. So we're serving actually a small sample of the entire population of Indian Americans. So we want to know that how true this result is that we got, how, how close it would be if we actually surveyed the entire population. So with smaller sample sizes, the margin of error increases and our confident in the confidence in the result decreases. So what we have over here is, first of all, a nationally representative survey. So we've represented Indian Americans per the population from all the from all of the states in which they have um, a higher number of popular high number in the population. Second, we have a margin of error of about three point two percent overall on a sample size of nine hundred and thirty six Indian Americans alone, which means that for most quantities described in this survey, we can be reasonably reasonably confident that our that our results are coming from a sample which we can draw inferences from, and that the differences are true differences and not just because of sampling error. You know, I, I want to dig into the findings, but before I do that, let me ask you another question about methodology, just to make sure that our listeners understand, you know, what went on here. The best said earlier, Indian Americans are only around 1% of the population, and that's a statistic you hear quite often. So that means that this population is actually pretty hard to reach because 1% is not that big of a number. So how does one actually survey then Indian Americans, given the fact that their absolute number relative to the U.S. population is not that big? Yeah, this is a great question. So we actually partnered with a survey from YouGov that does a lot of political and other polling in the United States. They have a proprietary online survey panel to which into which a, a, Americans in the U.S. have opted in already. This panel has about 1.8 million U.S. residents who have agreed to participate in YouGov surveys. From that panel, we recruited a subsample of people who identified as Indian American, and then within that, we wanted we wanted to match people based on a sampling frame to gender, age, education, and region that they came from. So while it was hard, and while it took more time than I think the average survey of all Americans would, we managed to do this using an online proprietary panel. So getting into the findings here, you know, I think one of the big headlines uh, of this new report is the fact that Indian Americans remain solidly with the Democratic Party. 72% of registered voters surveyed plan to vote for Joe Biden this November, while just 22% intend to back Donald Trump. Devesh, there has been quite a lot of talk this election season about the defection of Indians from the Democratic Party and into the arms of Donald Trump and the Republicans. Uh, the data that comes out in this report doesn't really seem to provide much empirical evidence for this kind of a shift. You know, why do you think the conventional wisdom is wrong? 
<laughs> well, uh, it's wrong because it's intellectually lazy. Uh, so, so think of the sort of logic that we see what that is behind the conventional wisdom. One is that Indian Americans are very strongly pro-Modi. Uh, Prime Minister Modi is seen to be close to President Trump. And therefore, there's almost a transfer of that allegiance to from Mr. Modi to, to President Trump and therefore a shift like the Republican Party. Now, this sort of presumes that Indian Americans, you know, decide that they are living in America. This is their country. This is their future. And that they do not care about the hugely important issues that are very much domestic in nature that will shape their future and will shape the future of the United States. So things like healthcare, the economy, and above all, also Indian Americans are immigrants. They are minorities. And so they are obviously very worried about the sorts of uh, <clears throat> The, the rhetoric of the Republican Party that is very anti-immigrant and also anti-anti-anti-minorities. I think the other thing we should be very careful is that you know we often see uh, there's a lot of people who focus on visible events like the Howdy Modi event or when Prime Minister Modi came to Madison Square Garden, but one should be very careful in drawing inferences about a population from just looking at a very tiny slice, because that's essentially, it's what we call you selecting on the dependent variable. You're looking at where there is heat, but often where there is heat, there isn't much light. And I think that's what is the difference between what our survey finds and the conventional wisdom. You know, it's interesting just to pick up on one thing that you said, you know, again, contrary to the media narrative, Indian Americans, according to this survey, don't rate U.S.-India relations anywhere close to the top of their priority list when it comes to the issues that really matter to them on election day, right? So this, the survey asked them, you know, when you go to vote, you know, what is it that, that you're primarily thinking of? What came back and said was that, you know, bread and butter issues, like you mentioned, things like healthcare, things like jobs, things like the economy seem to dominate. Um, I'm wondering, Devesh, if this is a surprise to you, or is it just you know, validation of the fact that Indian Americans maybe vote just like everyday Americans? Well, so I think you've, you've, you've sort of put the, your finger on the key issue. Why would we not expect the bread and butter issues to dominate? I mean, if we think of, I mean, this is a pretty exceptional year, right? I mean, the magnitude of the crisis, of the domestic crisis, is so severe. Uh, 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 one would have to be very, very surprised if bread and butter issues did not dominate. Uh, and so, to me, it's pretty obvious that people care about, you know, what's their future, about their families, health, uh, about jobs. You know, all of these issues, uh, the fact that they matter, it's not that Indian Americans don't care about U.S.-India relations, but relative to what is pressing now, that is clearly, and it's very clear from our survey, 
it's not their priority. And you know, arguably, just to build on something you just said, it would be m- even more so this year when you have three simultaneous crises, right? You have a public health pandemic, you have an economic crisis not seen since the Great Depression, and then, of course, you have this set of repeated kind of convulsions over race and social justice and and and, and policing and so on and so forth. I, I, I want to be careful, though, obviously, not to speak of this uh, community as a monolith. Uh, you know, one of the things which comes out in this report is a, a look at polarization within the Indian American community. You know, this past summer, I read Ezra Klein's book, Why Polarization Matters, where the argument basically summarizes a lot of political science literature and saying, look, partisan identity in America has now become a central part of our own individual identities. So, Sumitra, I guess the question to you is, people in the academia talk a lot about effective polarization, right? Which is just basically a fancy way of saying that people from different parties don't seem to like each other very much or their leadership. Is that true for Indian Americans as well? Yes. And you're right that the phenomenon of animosity between supporters of political parties is affective polarization. We see a lot of this generally in the American context. Both Republicans and Democrats say that the other party's members are hypocritical, selfish, close-minded. They don't want to socialize, marry, or even date across party lines. One of the ways we measured this in our survey is through an item called the feeling thermometer. Respondents basically are asked to rate Democrats and Republicans or the Democratic and Republican Party on a scale ranging from zero to 100, where numbers closer to zero indicate that you feel coldly, numbers closer to 100 indicate indicate that you feel warmth, and a number right at 50 would mean that you're neutral or indifferent. So in 2016, for instance, researchers found that there was a 40-point difference in the way Democrats and Republicans rated their own party relative to the other party. Now, in our survey, we actually find a pretty high degree of polarization of this kind. So let me give an example. Democrats in our survey rate the Democratic Party on average a 75, which is very warm. But they rate the Republican Party only 39. So this is a difference of 36 points. And similarly, for the Republican Party, we find a difference of 40 points. But I'll also say that the highest difference in partisan ratings was saved for President Donald Trump, a difference of 42 points, where Democrats gave Trump 27, lower than even what they rate the Republican Party on average, and even Republicans gave him a slightly lower rating than they do for the Republican Party. So to sum up, though we have way more Democrats in our sample as compared to Republicans, we see pretty big differences in the way Democrats and Republicans assess their parties and political leaders. And this carries forward to attitudes, too, where we ask respondents uh, their opinions on a variety of policy attitudes, including, because you mentioned race, attitudes towards um, police violence on peaceful protesters. We find that there are pretty big partisan differences with respect to those attitudes to mirroring generally the American political behavior context, which is to say that It feels like partisan socialization, the kind that you just mentioned earlier, um, is reflected within this demographic also. Let me ask you about one particular leader who has gotten uh, maybe disproportionate attention, which is Kamala Harris, given that she is partially of Indian origin. You know, there has been quite a lot of speculation in the media, on social media, about whether she is going to energize the Indian American community uh, because of her heritage. Is she going to turn them off? Because in the past, she has made what some would perceive to be critical statements about the Modi government and some of some of its policies. 
Um, or would it just kind of be a wash and not really matter all that much? So I'm wondering, you know, what do you think we can say from the survey about her net effect um, to the Democratic ticket? Yeah, so the survey approached this issue through two different lenses. First, we asked respondents whether um, Biden's selection of Kamala Harris would make them more or less likely to turn out to vote in the upcoming election. Second, we also asked whether the selection of Harris would make them more or less likely to be enthusiastic about the candidacy. So first, with respect to turnout, we actually find that 45% of all of the respondents in our sample say that Harris's selection makes them more likely to vote in November, while only 10% say that it would make them less likely to vote. Um, but it's important to note that a huge chunk, 40% of our sample, said that it would make no difference either way. So in all, uh, choosing Kamala Harris does seem to have galvanized a section of Indian American voters with respect to actually turning out to vote. Now, on the other hand, Turning out to vote could mean that you you would turn out to vote either in favor of Harris but on Biden, but also maybe in favor of uh, the Republican Party. So we actually find that the mobilization effect is working actually in favor of the Democratic ticket. So in our sample, 49% of respondents say that the nomination made them more enthusiastic of the Biden candidacy, and only 15% reports that it makes them less enthusiastic. Um, like the previous question, pretty large chunk, 31% actually said that it would not make difference either way. And the final thing I'll say on this is that for amongst respondents who said that Kamala Harris would make them more enthusiastic about the Biden candidacy, not surprisingly, we, we find that our Indian American respondents say that the reason they're more enthusiastic is because Kamala Harris is Indian American. You know, one of the things that uh, some research by a political scientist named Sarah Sadwani has pointed out is that um, when you look at Asian Americans in particular, Indian Americans seem to be more mobilized to actually vote in favor of one of their own than even other Asian Americans if there is an Indian American on the ballot. So, I mean, I think this is a kind of an interesting test uh, of, of that um, that theory. Devesh, let me circle back to something that we talked about before. Um in your book, uh, which came out a few years ago, you kind of posed the question of why Indian Americans are so tied to the Democratic Party. And in one of the answers you gave before, you, you pointed out the issue of immigration. Now, I think a lot of people look at the Indian American demographic and say, wait a second, uh, they are doing very well in terms of median household income. They're doing very well when it comes to educational attainment. I mean, literally, if you plot them on a chart, they're almost falling off the chart. Um, so we would actually expect them perhaps to be more Republican than they are. What do you think the survey tells us about why Indian Americans seem to be um, put off by the Republican Party? Uh, in other words, the Republican Party seems to have an image problem uh, when it comes to Indian Americans, is it just immigration, or do you think there are a broader set of forces at work? So you're absolutely right, uh, uh, Milan. That uh, you know, given their income, which is twice the the median for like for Americans, uh, given the, so they you know you would think they would want uh, a party that supports you know lower taxes. Uh, many are entrepreneurs, so they would support a party that calls for less regulation. Uh, many are doctors who like, you know, uh, uh, sort of tort reform. All of these are Republican Party issues. So you would think that 
you know, for economic self-interest would drive them, like to the Republican Party. And the fact that it's the opposite, uh, we should ask why. And so that's what our survey also shows that, uh, you know, two issues, uh, and I think the Republican Party, it's pretty obvious in this election, uh, it's more than just immigration. You know, of course, Indian uh, Americans have been hit, you know, the way that so many Indians have come in the last 20 years is the H-1B visa. And this government, uh, the Trump administration, and including a few days ago, has tried its best to squeeze down H-1B visas. But I think there's a broader, there are two other broader issues that our survey sort of highlights. Uh, one is the way the Republican Party is sort of around race seems to be becoming a white-only party in a way that uh, they are very worried about its stance on minorities. You know, as, you, as we said earlier, so they are 1% of the, of the population. There are small minorities, and all minorities are worried about the attitude of the Republican Party, and Indian Americans are, are sort of one of them. The second thing that comes out is, is they are anxious, apprehensive about the growing hold of the uh, of, of the evangelical Christians on the Republican Party. It's something we had noticed earlier through interviews and focus groups, but now we see very clear survey evidence. Uh, most Indians are uh, in in the country are are not Christian, you know, they're Sikhs, they're Muslims, they're Hindus. Uh, and so this particular, uh, you know, uh, uh, growing hold or influence of evangelical Christians on the Republican parties, in addition to the stance on minorities, I think these are two very compelling reasons why they're turned off by the Republican Party. One of the most interesting findings to me is on the issue of foreign policy, right? So the report clearly finds that for most survey respondents, when you ask them to pick from a list of competing priorities, U.S.-India relations kind of floats towards the bottom. But the survey does elsewhere ask Indians, uh, Indian Americans excuse me, about their views on Narendra Modi. And I think that most of us believe, at least anecdotally, that the prime minister of India is extraordinarily popular amongst the diaspora in America. Um, you know, it's not just Howdy Modi, it's not just Madison Square Garden, but I think in most of our conversations, um, if you were to kind of take an average internally, right, um, you, you, you sort of get that sense. But Sumitra, what does the survey actually tell us about the prime minister's stature here in America among Indian Americans? This is a good question. So based on the data that we have, I wouldn't conclude that the sample of Indian Americans was overwhelmingly pro-Narendra Modi. Actually, we talked about the feeling thermometer scale earlier. We asked this question for Prime Minister Modi too. And we found that on average, Indian Americans rate him at 55 on a 0 to 100 scale. So that is slightly on the warmer scale, but closer to 50, which is actually indifferent, which kind of places him somewhere between what they rate Biden and Trump on average, but closer to indifferent. But for me, the most interesting finding was when we disaggregated this result by partisanship. So we actually find that Trump voters give Prime Minister Modi the highest thermometer rating at 76, and Biden voters give him the lowest thermometer rating at 52. So 
it averages out to about 55 because of the larger number of Democrats in the in the sample. The other thing I'll mention is that the survey also asked respondents whether they approve of the job that Prime Minister Modi is doing as a prime minister. And we find that 48% of Indian Americans say they approve, uh, 32% disapprove, and 20% express no opinion. However, Indian Americans who approve of Trump's job performance are also more likely to approve of Modi's performance. You know, what you see from these numbers is, yes, he is reasonably popular among Indian Americans, but less popular than Prime Minister Modi is in India. If you see Prime Minister Modi's ratings in India on his job performance and his ratings in the U.S. among Indian Americans, very clearly his his rating here is less than his rating within India itself. So I guess, you know, uh, this is what I wanted to ask you, Devesh, just as a quick follow-up. Uh, you know, one of the unusual hallmarks of U.S.-India relations going back to the year 2000, which is really when the strategic partnership kind of started to lift off, is the sense of bipartisan consensus, uh, both in India and in the United States, about the need for closer U.S.-India ties, right? So in other words, uh, there was a consensus between the BJP and the Congress in India and between the Democrats and the Republicans in the United States. Uh, do you worry, as you look out into the future, that um, there is a risk of fracture there? In, in other words, that, um, that Democrats may take a uh, less favorable stance towards uh, India under Modi because of their concern over democratic backsliding, over minority rights, over the situation in Jammu and Kashmir, you know, maybe other aspects of, of, of economic policy as well. Um, does India risk, in your view, becoming a bit of a political football? Uh, I think uh, much less so than some people fear, because there are much bigger forces at work in how uh, uh, in sort of that will influence shape U.S. foreign policy. And that, frankly, is the specter of the rising China. Uh, And so, you know, they may not particularly like uh, the current regime in India, but they also have to face a much harsher and a much more difficult global political landscape like for the U.S. And so to that extent, I think that I I don't think so there will be a fracture. You know, it may be uh, less, uh, 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 less cordial perhaps, but on the other hand, as you know, on trade issues, on H-1B visa issues, the, uh, the Trump administration has caused a lot of problems like India on things like you know, climate change. Uh, India and the U.S. have mu- uh, a, a sort of Biden administration will have much more in common than India and the Trump administration. So, yes, on a few things, it will be less. But on a few things, actually, uh, uh, there will be much more agreement. One of the survey findings we haven't talked about is, you know, uh, respondents are asked which party, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, does a better job of managing U.S.-India relations. And by a two-to-one margin, respondents select the Democratic Party. Now, in part, that's based to the, on the fact that, you know, they're, they're, they're more Democratic-leaning generally. But um, it does give you a sense that, again, some of the media narrative about there being a lot of fear 
in the Indian American community if the Democrats were to come to power because they might not be as good towards India uh, doesn't seem to get backed up by the by the data. Um, I want to end by asking kind of two questions about the future. And Devesh, let me let me start with you. You know, you have pointed out uh, that there are about 150,000 Indian Americans who become newly eligible to vote each year. Now, uh, most of this comes from younger Indian Americans who turn 18, and then they become eligible to cast their vote for the first time. Uh, but about a third of it comes from naturalization, right? Uh, immigrants becoming citizens. But however you slice or dice it, um, they remain, as we, you talked about before, one of the fastest growing immigrant groups in the country. Um, what do you think the survey tells us about their particular place in America's political dynamics, um, it, it, you know, how would you place them on a spectrum when we think about the white population? You know, other minorities. You know, how how, how do they fit in? So I think three features of this group looking in, in, into the next few years sort of stand out. One, because a greater fraction are those born in the U.S. This group, our survey shows, is more liberal than naturalized Indians, which were which were the dominant Indian Americans in the past. The community as a whole, its its sort of political preferences center of gravity will become even more liberal. Second is not just their numbers or views, but also their their location. You know, in the past, it was concentrated in places like the Northeast and California. These were reliably blue states, so their marginal impact was lower. But now you see a considerable growth in states like Georgia, Florida, uh, uh, swing states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, and also Texas, which is turning somewhat purple. So to the extent that they are, uh, and, and the numbers are growing enough, in closely tied elections or in close elections, these numbers will begin to matter much more. So it's the overall numbers, the fact they're becoming more liberal and and the states where they are growing more, all of these three combined. I mean, as we see in our surveys, they are roughly between Hispanics and African-Americans in how pro-democratic party they are. And that, I think, dynamic is likely to continue into the near future. So, Sumitra, this report is part one of a larger exploration of Indians in America. Uh, the the next study is going to look at how Indian Americans view India. Um, this this study just touches on it tangentially, but doesn't really get into to, to the wide array of survey questions that that have been collected. Tell us a little bit more about why that's an important or interesting question to look at. Um, uh, you know, why Indian Americans, you know, what, what they think about what's happening in India. Yeah. First, let me say that our original survey had has about 1,200 respondents, both citizens and non-citizens. And we dropped the non-citizens for this analysis because it's relevant just to the U.S. election. Uh, but we did want to include non-citizens because we have a whole module on how Indian Americans view India. We've discussed a lot about the conventional wisdom about Indian Americans and about the diaspora's attitudes towards Indian politics. But the truth is we don't actually have data or numbers to put to these uh, hypotheses and conventional wisdom 
Um, so that is our aim with this section. So in that section of the survey, we actually have a um, very vast module on attitudes toward, towards policy issues and current affairs issues in India. So for example, in that section, we have questions about what people think about um, suppression of press freedom in India, what people think about the, the All India National Register of Citizens and the, citizens and the passage of the Citizenship Amendment Act, uh, both of which have prompted pretty vast protests across the country before lockdown happened. Uh, we have questions on whether affirmative action is appealing to people or not. And we also ask questions about um, police and law enforcement uh, using physical violence and tear gas, which we saw in response to the, to the citizenship laws. And finally, we also asked about religious majoritarianism in the country and whether people think that's a threat to democracy or not. Now, what's interesting about these questions is that we have pretty similar questions about the U.S. context, where instead of asking about religious majoritarianism, we ask about white supremacy, where instead of asking about affirmative action as it relates to caste, in the U.S. context, we ask about it as it relates to race. So one of the hypotheses that I think we're interested in studying is whether people in our sample view these same issues differently in the Indian context, as opposed to in the American context. So I think I and all of us are excited to dig into this data because it promises to be um, pretty telling. My guests on the show today are Sumitra Badranathan of the University of Pennsylvania and Devesh Kapoor of Johns Hopkins SAIS. Uh, the three of us are uh, co-authors of a new study titled, How Will Indian Americans Vote? It presents new data, new evidence from the 2020 Indian American Attitude Survey. Uh, the report is out now. We look forward to hearing from you and your comments and your questions. Um, Sumitra Devesh, thank you so much for taking the time out to kind of break down and explain the survey findings. And um, I hope that you guys will come back um, in a month or two when we have part two of this report on how Indian Americans view India to talk about uh, our findings on that one. If you'll have us. <laughs> I'll, 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 it depends how much work you're going to do on that report. Um, but yes, we would love to have you both back. Thanks, Milan. Thank you, Milan. Grantham Asha is a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and the Hindustan Times. This podcast is an HT Smartcast original and is available on htsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcasting producing platform. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. It helps others find the show more easily. For more information about the show and to find the writing we referenced on this week's episode, visit our website, granthamasha.com. Production assistance comes from Jonathan Kay. Tim Martin is our audio engineer, and Maya Krishna Rogers is our executive producer. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast. Caesar's Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesar's rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.